Hi there, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast, where we make adulting easier by making money easier. This is your host, Lauren, and I'm joined today by James from Rethink the Rat Race. James and his wife, Emily, were just two regular people working regular jobs, living in a regular town when they found the financial independence movement. They went all in and focused on real estate, buying their first property in 2017. Within two years, they had 10 units and enough cash flow to leave their jobs. Now, they're still two regular people, but they live an extraordinary life of travel and adventure while self-managing their small portfolio. Thanks for joining me, James. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Absolutely. And I do want to introduce everyone to our sponsor, Touchstay. Are you looking for operational gains and brand build? Meet the easy-to-use platform that transforms your docs, PDFs, and emails into branded information that guests read and engage with time and again. Touchstay is in the business of helping hectic hosts and managers kill the time burn with simple tech. Helping you to reinforce your brand through communication, skyrocket the guest experience, and create raving loyal fans. Their digital guest welcome books are rich with features, including guest email collection and first impressions feedback capture, plus free email and SMS guest memos, in addition to providing a single place of information and inspiration to get your guests excited for their stay, appreciative of your offering, and happy as Larry, as they say in the UK, to tell everyone about it. Guests love Touchday Digital Guidebooks as much as hosts, even mentioning them in their reviews. Want to look good every time someone has a question? Look up touchday.com and start the 14-day free trial today. So James, our goal is to make adulting easier for listeners by discussing a personal finance topic since managing money is a big part of adulting. And today we could tell from our sponsor, Touchday, that we are going to talk about short-term rentals. But first, tell us a little bit like why fire and why we heard you in your bio, you discovered the financial independence movement, but why go after it and why use real estate to do it? So those are both good questions. Why go after it? So I grew up in a very scarcity mindset household. Um, and it actually, it's odd to say, but we didn't really think about money or definitely didn't talk about money because there was no money to be had. And so the idea that, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. So both my parents are deaf. And in my mind, I heard like, you know, 401k or IRA or something like that, just in passing. And I think that parents that have or kids that have speaking parents, their parents are telling them about this stuff. And I'm thinking that I'm the only one that doesn't have access to this because my parents don't have access to the information. And so because of that, I was already kind of leaning toward like learning about this stuff. And so even at younger age, I was, I knew more about 401ks and IRAs than a lot of my friends did because I thought I was the one that had to do the research because my parents weren't going to tell me. So all that is to say that I never would have thought that there was a time that I didn't have to worry about money. Just growing up, like we were, our cars were getting repossessed, like utilities were getting cut off and it was a very different lifestyle. And so the idea that you can flip it on its head and say, if I choose to live a certain way and within a certain lifestyle, then I can have more than enough and I never have to work again. And that to me was just like a light bulb. And so from that real estate became the focus because um, I am a very, um, I have an addictive personality. If I am consistent in something like that is a hundred percent of my focus, if I'm interested in it at all. And so real estate was the fastest route to reach financial independence without a doubt. And so that's why we focused more on real estate than any other thing. Nice. And with real estate, you started with long-term rentals. Is that right? That's correct. So we actually had 10 long long-term rentals before we ever did a single short-term rental. And then we converted one 
just by happenstance and then fell in love with it. And so now we have five and five. Okay. I was going to ask what the current portfolio looks like. Are any of those, are those all single families? You have some duplexes too. So we do have some duplexes. So we have one duplex that is on uh, both both sides are short-term rentals. Um, at one point, it was one side and the other side. One was a long-term, one was a short-term. But now they're both short-term rentals. We have another duplex that's both long-term rentals. So it's kind of like just a mix. So people ask me, you know, what do you like better, short-term rentals or long-term rentals? Because I have a mix too. And I tell them things like, well, I have nine short-term and three long-term. So that tells you, but you've got an even mix. Do you prefer one or the other? I really don't. There are parts of one that I prefer more than the other. I definitely prefer the income of a short-term rental, but I like the involvement of a long-term rental. And some of our long-term rentals, they just not in the location that would be suitable for a short-term rental and even like the layouts and things like that. And so for us, it's just like nice to have a mix. And we even have two, uh, two of our short-term rentals are actually medium term. So even within that, you know, we've kind of got the gambit of uh, residential real estate. That's cool. I'm really interested in medium term. I think that's the next thing that I am going to try. So you were managing your long-term rentals first from afar, and then you got short-term rentals and you were like, you know what? I can still do this from Greece. Is that right? (laughs) That's pretty much how it went. So our first short-term rental, again, I I mentioned that we kind of just fell into it. So we were getting ready to move overseas and then one of our tenants turned in their notice to move out and we only had like a week to place somebody and we didn't want to rush the tenant selection process and just throw somebody in there that we were going to have to evict or, you know, somebody that we didn't necessarily trust, especially when we're trying to manage it, like you said, from Greece or from Europe. So we got a co-host for our first property and just put all of our stuff in there. And it kind of worked out because we decided when we would come back, it would be an easy spot for us to crash and we could just block off the calendar. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. So you, when you went overseas, you had no home back here, really, except for that short-term rental. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Of course, I have also done that in my in my past as well. What's the hardest part? What's the most challenging part about managing rentals from afar? Uh, at times, it can be like the little thing, right? Like, so somebody says, oh, you know, I'm out of coffee or something like that, because we provide coffee at some of our places. And typically, like, it's something that would get restocked by the cleaners, but it might have been overlooked for one reason or another. And so it's not necessarily like it's not difficult, especially now. So it's hard to even say that this is the hardest part. But not being able to, you know, do something really quickly, just like something super easy. So instead we're having to order it on, you know, a Walmart delivery or something like that. And so we're paying like three X for it because now we're paying for delivery charges and stuff. But again, in the grand scheme of things, that's probably just the most common difficult thing. I guess another difficult thing would be if like there is a problematic guest and they haven't left, then, you know, who's the one that goes and kind of gets them out. I guess that would probably be the harder part. Have you ever had that happen? We have, but luckily it only ever happened while we were at the property. So we were in, we happened to be in town for Thanksgiving and it happened on Thanksgiving day and somebody was there until our checkout time is 10 AM and somebody was there at one. Uh, And so it was, it was kind of an issue, but it all worked out. The guy left. It wasn't like he was purposely overstaying. Uh, He he just was very bad about time management and doing anything remotely quickly. Like it was the slowest thing I'd ever seen in my life. So you were there. That's that's funny. We've had one person who overstayed when the cleaner got there and they were like, no, our checkout is a two. And the cleaner company's like, did you tell them they could check out? I was like, no, I didn't tell them that. And so I called them 
and asked them to leave. Even though I was there, I was upstairs. I just pretend like I'm not there sometimes. And <laughs> I called and I was like, hey, your checkout time has passed. And they said, oh, okay, okay, we'll go. So they just weren't going to listen to the cleaner, but they listened to me. But the one time we had to actually like cancel a reservation for a party and have people removed, we literally were in Colorado when our rentals in Florida and I was like, God, of the one party that's been thrown in all of the time, like, of course we weren't around, but luckily they just left. But sometimes these moments, I'm like, what would I do if I wasn't there? But I guess you just figure it out. Exactly. And I will actually say we did have one case where somebody overstayed and the cleaners got there and the cleaners were like, hey, the guy's still here. And so I reached out to him and they said, oh, like, that's our fault. We thought that our checkout was the next day. Like we thought that mm. it was. And so then what we did was we sent them a special offer because we had another space that was open. So they just picked up and moved to a different place. And we sent them a special offer for a one night because typically we don't have one nights. Um, not always, but it just depends on how it falls on the calendar. And so we ended up getting two five-star reviews out of that one guest. <laughs> that's true. That That's a good one. That, that's interesting. I started doing this thing where the day before checkout, I said, tomorrow is your checkout blah, 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 blah. You know, and some people I've had someone say, oh my gosh, I thought we were booked for the whole weekend. I'm like, no, someone else is actually, you're going to have yeah. to go. <laughs> <laughs> and they got that same message, but they just, I guess, didn't pay attention to it. it mm. I don't know if ignored it's the right word, but maybe they just thought it came early a day. Who knows? Right, right. I, I could see that happening. Um, so what are, can you walk us through what maybe like a normal week or what a normal process looks like for you? Like, what are you what are you doing day to day in your rental business? That is a great question. So week to week, I guess it varies, but on a typical day or a typical week, um, I, I get up pretty late in the day. I, I, I don't necessarily sleep in. I just don't really do a whole lot in the morning. And um, our messages are automatically sent out at 10 a.m. So if a guest is checking in the next day, then their message is being sent the day before, right? And so that day I will add their door code. And that's the only part of the process that I currently do. Um, the other thing that I'll do is when a booking comes in, I'll add it to the cleaner's calendar. And so when a booking comes in, I add two things onto the calendar. One is to add their door code. And the other thing is for the cleaner to go and clean on the day that their checkout is. And that's that's really the only part that I do with the long-term rentals. Uh, my wife, Emily, she does, or sorry, with the short-term rentals, my wife, Emily, she does all the bookkeeping. And so, you know, weekly or monthly, she'll sit down and see what the income was, you know, what our expenses were and just try to stay on top of it for tax purposes more than anything. Oh, nice. So she does the bookkeeping and you guys are managing natively in the apps, right? We are. Yes. So we use just the Airbnb be app currently. This is not necessarily what we suggest doing, especially like to people starting out, but we have almost a hundred percent occupancy just on Airbnb and we continue to raise our prices. So it's, I don't really see a need yet to diversify into booking.com or VRBO or Furnish Finder for that matter. Or direct. You don't take direct bookings. Yeah. Or direct. Exactly. Yeah. I have built the website. I just haven't put in the functionality to actually book on the website. So the website has a picture of our listing and it was somewhere where we could post like, you know, the best pizza joints and stuff like that, which I think you do as well, Lauren. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I try to just let people know like what's going on around here. And then I just use my blog, you know, in the communications because they ask us now to review you. Hey, did your guest make some, did your host, I'm sorry, make some recommendations for you? And I'm like, darn straight I did. I took to the website and I set up my blocks so that counts. Um, so how much time does the bookkeeping take then for Emily? 
Not much. Actually, I would probably say less than what I do, just because like you can import pretty easily a CSV file. And then from there, it's just making sure that they're appropriately allocated to the right property. Um, and then what we do is, I mean, it depends on like most of the time when we're traveling, we have very few expenses. It's just the utilities and things like that to track. Um, but when I'm doing a renovation, which I do enjoy doing at times, uh, then at that point, it's like tracking the the Home Depot receipts and all this kind of stuff. And so if if she doesn't stay on top of it, then uh, then it can become a, a, like a crunch time when it comes to tax time. So she's probably spending, you know, a few hours a week doing it at that point, as opposed to, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a week. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. So that's something that she does weekly. I figured after, if you waited for like a month, that would, that would pile up a little bit. It can for sure. Yeah. Especially again, if, if you're doing renovations or something like that, or there's unexpected expenses, the long-term rentals, because the income is so consistent and the expenses are so consistent. The only thing you're having to do is the occasional maintenance issue. And honestly, we have those so rarely that it's almost like you could just drag that for the whole, for the whole month or year. What are you doing to manage the long-term rentals? Do you have some systems for that? I do. Yeah. And so I like to use apartments.com. It, I didn't initially pick it. I will preface it by saying that I picked cozy.co and it was one of the highly recommended free uh, resources for self-management for landlords. And it got bought by apartments.com, but all the same functionality was in it. And so it's easier to keep all the tenants on that than it is to try to migrate them to another system. Uh, we also have heard good things about Avail but um, and Stessa, but Stessa, I think, is more for the bookkeeping. But uh, apartments.com, incredibly simple process. You set up the tenants on there. You can actually do a pre-screening questionnaire on there. They have pre-filled applications or sorry, um, lease agreements that work for your specific area. So you can have like an Alabama specific one or a Florida specific one. And then from there, they do the background and credit check also in apartments.com. That's how they make most of their money. And then we also field all the maintenance requests on that same site. And then we forward it to the handyman and then they take care of it. And so really everything that we do is kind of systematized. That's good. I need to do that for my long-term rentals. We've talked about that before. I'm so systematized as short-term rentals. I got nothing on the long-term rentals. Which explains why you're slowly dwindling those down. Right? I because know. it seems like more effort, even though they're zero effort whatsoever. What I The effort for me comes in the beginning. And I understand that there's a lot of effort in the beginning with short-term rentals. But the short-term rental, it's not going to get trashed. I'm not going to have to you know, put somebody in there and have to do floors after a year or repaint it after a year. I have to touch up and stuff. And it just, that's to me where it's like at any moment they can say, I'm not coming back and it could be gross. And I just, I can't, I can't, I don't know how I would outsource that turnover. And so I just, I don't, I, I don't ever want to f- fully hand my property over to somebody else. That's what I struggle with, honestly. <laughs> I can understand that, but I also think you're thinking worst case scenario. Like obviously there are evictions and there are things like that are hoarders, but um most of our turnovers have been incredibly easy. Like there have been some that like somebody's moved in within the week. And so the people just left it so clean that there was almost mm-hmm. nothing to do. And it also depends on if there's carpets or if they put holes in the wall. And so it depends on how long they've been there. I think if anybody's then been there like a, a very a lengthy amount of time, then you probably haven't raised the rent enough because most people would probably start looking for somewhere to go. So our average tenant long-term rental have been there for, I think, three and a half years. And that's going to go down this year because someone just turned in their notice to move out. And so so we're eager to have another turnover. Okay. So when you have the turnover, you go there and you do that? No, it depends on, it depends on the process. So- okay. 
for instance, I mentioned that I like to do the renovations. And so if the, if the property, cause we know our properties like, and, and so if the property is to the point that it needs something, then I like to go and do, you know, whatever it may be. If it's like, I've pulled up kitchen, like pulled out entire kitchens and like redone all the cabinets and all that kind of stuff, or the same thing for a bathroom, I'll take it down to the studs. But if it's like a refresh, then I'm definitely not doing that. And honestly, probably I'm not doing it anyway. It just depends on if it's going to be a fun project for me. And so I hire out all the painting, I hire out all the drywall, I hire out all that kind of stuff, especially on a turnover, like carpets and all that kind of stuff. I'm not doing any of that. You only do it if it's the hard part, like the really hard total remodel down to the studs. You won't do it if it's like painting and carpet. Yeah, exactly. Because that's just so much easier to to hire out. And sometimes I don't have a vision yet of what I want it to be. And so especially with short-term rentals, like I have an avatar in mind at the end. I want it to be for this person. And so I'm kind of picking as I go like this or that. And so that makes it a little more fun. And so most of the time it's for short-term rentals that we're doing the projects. But there have been times that I've done it on long-term rentals too. So when this one, this next long-term rental becomes vacant, it'll be another long-term rental? Probably. Yeah. We, we foresee that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a townhouse and the townhouse itself is great. It's in a great school district. The only problem is the neighborhood isn't the nicest. It's in like a very nice city, like very expensive houses, very, but it's the cheapest place in the nice city. And so because of that, people like have junk in their yards. And so we just foresee getting negative reviews uh, as a short-term rental based on the location. Yeah. The unsafe reviews, right? Right, right. So you've made a pretty compelling case for getting into real estate because you guys were able to do it in just a few years from the time you heard about FI to when you were FI, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I think uh, from the time we heard about it till when we quit our jobs was kind of a different point, but we had hit our fine number, uh, I think in three years. And so when we bought our first property, it was like less than three years from then. That's so cool. That's so cool. And so that, and that's something that I think people should take away from this is you had two full-time jobs at that point and you, these were not remote jobs, right? You were physically going to these jobs and you were still able to build this 10 unit portfolio and retire in three years. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, my wife, Emily, she had to be in the office the whole time. And my job at the end became a little more remote and it wasn't necessarily a remote job uh, so much as I was like in this like middle management area of like, gray where no one knew where I was supposed to be at any given time. And so I would hop on conference calls, but I would be out like painting a painting a duplex or something. And so that was that made it a lot easier toward the end. But I was only in that position for like the last eight months or so that I was working. Gotcha. So who do you think there's a specific type of person who can retire early? Yeah, it definitely takes somebody that has self-ownership. I think that that's something that is incredibly overlooked. And I know that this might not necessarily be a great thing to say, but if you don't feel like you have control over your life and you feel like, you know, life is out to get you and that you can't change anything, early retirement is probably not for you, right? It takes somebody to say, I can control my expenses. I can control my income. I can create the freedom that I want. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that if I did it, I don't have, I don't have a four-year degree. Uh, I don't have any student loans, but that's the funny thing. Like people are like, oh, that's easy because you don't have student loans. I'm like, well, I didn't get a degree. So let's start there. Right. And I'm just here to say like, if I can do it, I feel like anybody else can do it. I really genuinely believe that, but you also have to have the right mindset. You cannot be a victim in your own life and think that this is going to work for you. You cannot be a victim in your own life and think that this is going to work for you. 
That's awesome. I want to sit on that for a second. So, though, okay. So, in order to retire early, you have to feel like you're in control of your life. That makes sense. Do you think, what are your thoughts on the, I'm going to put all my money in index funds and use the 4% rule versus real estate? I'm not opposed to it. Um, we we personally invested in IRAs and 401ks. For us, it was the tax advantages of it than it was more anything else. But um, I definitely get the idea of not wanting to own real estate. Some people are just very risk averse. And so they would rather just pile money into the market. And that's okay. Um, it's just going to take longer. And that's a trade-off that you're making. Like you're making a, a conscious decision. Um, I worked it out that, you know, if you invested in short-term rentals and you bought the right properties, you could do it in less than two years um, or right at two and a half years to do the same thing in cash flow with uh, the market. If you saved 50% of your income, you use the same amount of money, it would take you 13 years, right? And so we're talking like 11 years of difference. Like that is a trade-off. And so everybody's concerned about, you know, toilets breaking and stuff like that. You don't get that with, um, you don't get that with index funds, but in my opinion, you don't really get it with real estate either. Yeah. Okay. Somebody asked me again about the 3 a.m. toilets and I was like, not one, still not one at all. <laughs> Never happens. Guys. Never happened. I know. Like, are these people clogging their own toilets at 3 a.m.? Like, why are they putting this on me? Yeah. And even if they were, it's something that you would hire out. Or I suggest this is a genuine suggestion. A lot of people laugh. But if that's a genuine concern of yours, then you should only buy properties that have two bathrooms. Because, yes, a toilet can clog at 3 a.m. Sure, it can. I'm not saying it's impossible. But that person's probably just going to go to the different bathroom and they'll reach out to you in the morning. They're not going to bother you at 3 a.m. And if they are bothering you, they shouldn't be bothering you directly on your phone. You should not be fielding maintenance requests that way anyway, right? Our tenants know to only contact us if it's in case of an emergency and an emergency includes a fire, flood or blood. If it's not that you're not contacting me. Fire, flood or blood. That's almost like a t-shirt. <laughs> so any regrets from retiring early? Uh, yeah. Uh, I wish <laughs> I had more hobbies to fill my time. Uh, <laughs> you just don't know what to do with yourself. Not always, but there are times like, <laughs> it ebbs and flows. Like I'm, it takes again, a certain type of person to, to achieve this goal. And so there are times that I am like incredibly motivated to do something. And then there are other times that I'm like, I'm not doing shit for the rest of the week. And it's like running the gambit between those two things. It's like, I feel like I should do something, but I don't really like, I need to build a business. Like let's do something and that's fun. But then when it comes time to actually like spend weeks or months doing it. I'm like, I don't need it. You know, it's like, I'm not as hungry as I once was. Right. But so when the motivation does wane, it always comes back. That's like my biggest fear that I leave my job, that my motivation, which has helped me to build adulting is easy into what it is and all these rental properties and my full-time job. Once that's gone, am I going to just like never have motivation ever again? <laughs> No, that's not the case at all. I still, I've created probably like four or five different businesses since we retired early and it's fun to create. And to me, that's like, just like a mental experiment. I'm building the websites and I'm thinking about how this is going to monetize and all this kind of stuff. And then I'm just like, okay, that was fun while it lasted. Like, let's move on to the next project. And so you still have motivation. It's just, uh, the, the avenues at which they're done. Like I'm not having to show up to a nine to five job anymore. So I used to get up at 4am uh, every day, either to go to the gym, to work on a property or to go to work. One of the three. And now I am not getting out of bed before like eight o'clock, unless it's a flight. And even then I'm like, oh, let's just pick a late one, you know? 
Yeah, I do know. I yeah, Eric wakes me up at eight with breakfast most of the time. And I do have a full time job. <laughs> Don't tell my boss it's remote. Um so what's next for you guys then? We talked about you've got one long term rental that's coming up, probably gonna be another long term rental. But beyond that, what do you what's next for you guys? So we actually have a property. It's not under contract right now. We have an off-market deal that we've sent over the contract to the seller. And uh, we think that that, like we've agreed on a number, we've sent over the contract. So we think that we're essentially under contract for another property. But this is going to be a fun part of it. Um, We're going to Europe for a month and a half next week. And so we're going to try to close on this property while we're in Europe, just to like one, it kind of falls within the range of time. Like we're not going to ask somebody, Hey, let's do a, you know, 90 day close or something. So it falls in that length of time that we're going to be there. And so instead of trying to push it or, you know, assigning a power of attorney, which we could do, which we may fall back on, we're going to try to close on the property while in Europe, which I think would be fun. And then you know, have somebody go in like a task rabbit or something and try to essentially have the space ready for us. When we get back, we can launch it. That's what's next for us. Cool. I like it. I love just trying stuff like that. Let's see how it works. I, I, this is a silly example, but I ordered like a Wayfair couch and I bought the protection on it. I'm like, let's see how good that is when a guest messes it up. Like, let's see if I can use this. I'm always like curious about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you never know until you try. And then if it if it works, then you can add that into your systems. If it doesn't work, then you can kind of adjust from there. And it takes experimentation to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So these um these deals that you've been doing since you've been retired, are you mostly like trading up? Are you expanding out? What is that looking like? Uh, I would say trading up is probably the closest uh, apt description for it. So our first property was a really crappy duplex in a really crappy area. But it made us real estate investors and it takes the first deal to like get there. And so we sold that property in the height of like COVID sales, like somewhere in 21, I think maybe late 2020 and used that money to buy another property. So we sold we sold a duplex. And since then, we've bought two other properties. So we're still at 10 and this is going to get us to number 11. And it's just like kind of trading up, you know, uh, we did a 1031 exchange, which I wish we had just to do the process again. But um but yeah, so that's that's essentially what we're doing. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I always wonder if I'll do deals or not once I'm retired or if it's like, nope, this is it. This is what got me retired and I'm just going to ride this from here. But maybe that's because I'm burnt out. That could totally be why. Yeah, I think we bought our first property after we retired, like over a year after we retired. Uh, you know, and at times I would still pull up Zillow just because it's fun. Like I want to see what's on the market. I want to see, you know, if anything cool has popped up. But uh, it, the itch does come back. I just don't check it as religiously as I used to because one, we don't need it. And now we're getting, you know, a couple of off-market deals here and there from people that we just happen to have met. And those are by far the better deal. Like I'm not having to compete with retail buyers. It's so true. Yeah, that's how we ended up buying our fourth, which brought us to 14 doors is an off-market deal. And we weren't really looking, which is, it's kind of a weird thing for me, at least to be buying it and being like, there was no buildup because it just kind of fell into my lap. But I mean, a deal's a deal. I'll take it. Exactly. Exactly. You take them where you can get them, especially if they fit what you're looking for, right? Like there are some deals that have popped up that I'm like, I'm not interested in it, but I might know somebody that is. And so I'll forward it to some of my friends who are still investors um, or at least still hungry investors. Cause I would take any deal that popped on the market at first. And now I'm just a little more strategic about what I want to dive into. Sure. That makes sense. Um, So if anybody out there is listening to this because they're on the fence 
about getting into, say, short-term rentals, what would you say to them? I would say that it's a lot less scary than you would think. Um, I just helped somebody launch a short-term rental and they were on the fence for years and it took them at the end. It was like pulling teeth to get them to like do what needed to be done on it, but it is their property. It's their life. But I will say it's not as scary as you think. People want to book your space. You want to host them. You want people to have a good time. You want to make money. And uh, it, it provides a lot of flexibility. Like we block off our own spaces and stay there when we need to, or our family will stay in them at times. And so it is not as hard as it, you think it might be. And worst case scenario, you just sell all the furniture back out of it and turn it back into a long-term rental if you want. And that's the, the worst case scenario. Right. I always tell people that, I mean, what's at risk here? The furniture. That's right. really it. And yeah. there's Facebook Marketplace. Like somebody will come pick that stuff up. Exactly. Exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to add, James, before we wrap up? So for your listeners, we actually have a free resource and you can find that at rethinktheratrace.com slash adulting is easy. And what this is, is a calculator that you can punch in to show how much money you make as a short-term rental versus a long-term rental. So just to repeat that, it's rethinktheratrace.com slash adulting is easy. All right. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes. And why don't you let people know where they can get in touch with you? Sure. So I mentioned it. RethinktheRatRace.com is our website, but we are probably more active on Instagram and on Twitter as well to a lesser degree, but we're really more active on Instagram and you can find us at RethinktheRatRace. Yeah. Your Instagram videos can attest. They're hilarious. My favorite are the shitpost Saturday ones. I mean, you get people on that every time. I love it. It's my favorite part of the week. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at adulting is easy on YouTube at adulting is easy new to Instagram at adulting is easy real, or you can email me at real adulting is easy at gmail.com. If you like this episode, check out episode one Oh three when James and Emily joined us, um, which was basically called about fire using real estate and episode one forty eight, which was called new investor buys one LTR and two STRs in the first year. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Hopefully, James and I have made adulting a little easier for you. Hey, everybody. It's Lauren again. Thank you so much for your support of the show over the last four years. I'm launching a new way for you to support the show, and that's via donations, via Cash App. I will put the link in the show notes from now on. If you donate $20, I'll shout you out on the show. If you donate $50, I'll shout you out and send you a t-shirt. If you can't afford to donate right now, that's okay. You can also support the show by telling someone about it. Tell them verbally, tell them via email, or share on social media if you're getting value. I really appreciate you guys. And please don't forget to email me with feedback or ideas at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com. Thanks again.